and good day. Eh? Welcome to the Super Good Camping Podcast. My name is Pamela. And I'm Tim. And we are from supergoodcamping.com. We just wanted to educate and inspire other families to enjoy camping adventures such as we have with our kids. Uh, today we wanted to talk a little bit about cooking while you're camping. So Tim is our master chef who we take with us everywhere we go and he's responsible for all of the cooking. So I'm going to turn it over to him and let him just talk about some of the cooking methods and the things that we bring with us as far as cooking equipment. Uh, right out of the gate I'd like to say I'm not a master chef. I just like cooking. So I'm willing to try almost anything and when it is a failure I luckily have a wonderful family that doesn't give me too much grief about it and is very encouraging when it works out well. Car camping wise equipment we have multiple looks <laughs> that we use depends on how many of us are going camping how much space we have to lug things. My favorite thing to take with us we have historically we've had man go back quite a ways we used to have a Coleman road trip barbecue it collapses has sort of sideboards that pull out it's very low profile it's very efficient on propane although i do tend to lug it to a barbecue sized propane tank with me you can do everything we've done my god we've done ribs for 20 ish some fairly ridiculous number of people we've done two cedar planks of big salmon you can cook quite a bit you know it's nice for steaks nice for chops you can get accessories that's our previous one we have the newer version now uh, which i believe is called the coleman nxt it's a less rounded version uh, my mom has a bit of a shopping issue so the previous the road tripper was still fine i actually had some accessories like a griddle for it so we could do hash brown or eggs or whatever for breakfast on it it was a pretty much an all-in-one i couldn't boil my coffee on it but i always had a sideburn like an additional single burner for it so no big deal the new one does have a temperature gauge on it which is really handy if you're doing something you want to do low and slow like salmon i prefer to spend a little bit longer and keep everything juicy while it's on top of lemon slices equipment wise again we also do things like i used to have a coleman single burner that you just screwed onto a, a one pound tank of propane with a fairly sturdy base on it so you could do a pot of vegetables on the side or do your coffee in the morning tea what have you we have a couple of more fuel efficient single burners that I use for backcountry as well. Maybe a little less stable per se, but they're still pretty awesome and use even half the fuel to do the same job. So MSR Pocket Rocket, I think it is, MSR2. I think that's what that is. And it's great. It, it weighs like nothing. It, it's You wouldn't, you stick in your pocket, you'd be like, where's the Pocket Rocket? I don't know where I put it in your pocket folds down into nothing takes no space so perfect for backcountry but it, it works extremely well for for front country so we've started to use that just to save some space when we're not using the barbecue to cook on we also have a coleman i think it's a perfect flow grill i'm not positive it has a barbecue style a single burner grill on one side of it and has a single burner like a round burner on the other side so it's again it's great for doing your coffee in the morning you can also do eggs on the single burner while you're doing bacon over an open flame on the right on the grill side so that's quite nice it takes up less space it weighs less it's even more efficient than the coleman barbecue you can't do as big stuff and i can tell you from experience don't do salmon on a cedar plank on it as we now have a fairly warped grill from doing exactly that and just a side note we looked it up afterwards because i thought well that's pretty crappy for the first go out and we melted the grill on it or warped it because it melted coleman is not inclined to replace said 
grill for you and it's happened to a bunch of people who knows what they all did i don't know it's a thin sheet of wood with a salmon on it seemed to trap too much heat underneath yeah and it, and it was droopy i had no idea until i actually pulled the plank off and it, it was <laughs> it was a pretty solid three quarters or an inch drooped into the center it's like oh that's poopy it, i mean it still works but i'm not thrilled with that kind of customer service just saying Outside of that, Ontario Provincial Parks, most of the time you have a fire pit, it usually has a steel grate grate on it to keep your fire contained, but it also has a grate that flips on and off if you want to cook things on. It can be a little more time consuming, but it's a pretty cool experience and anything cooked over a wood fire is usually pretty darn yummy. We also often throw things into the fire once we've got it rocking. Uh, we do That's how we do our lobster tails. Wrap them up in tinfoil. I'll tell you how to prep them later on another date probably. Baked potatoes. Throw them in, but you can cook right on top of the grill itself. You can wrap it in tinfoil because they do tend to be a little rusty sometimes. There's also, uh, shoot, I'll look it up and give Pamela the info so that she can post it. There's a company that makes a two-level grate that goes over the entire fire pit itself, and it's chrome, so you can cook on it. It might be stainless steel. So you can cook on it and do whatever you want and not have to sweat uh, putting down tinfoil and stuff so you can get the full flavor from the fire. That's it. So as you can see, we have lobster tails and planked salmon, and we have steak and chicken, and we eat pretty well while we're camping. We've been the envy of some of our siblings. Yes, and just to throw in, I mean, that's my cooking palate. I, again, follow a ridiculous number of Facebook groups, etc., about camping. They often do one-pot meals where they throw a Dutch oven in the coals and load it up with stew or saw somebody do like a Yorkshire pudding type deal once. I don't know. That's a newbie for me. I can't imagine lugging a pot that's that heavy out camping with me. Yeah. So the other topic we wanted to get into today was a topic that Tim really does not want to discuss. However, we felt we had to be completely honest and authentic and let you know about our very first attempt at backcountry camping. So we attempted backcountry camping the first time in 2017. We went to Kawartha Highlands Provincial Park. Kawartha Highlands Provincial Park is the largest park in southern Ontario after Algonquin. It's a special place, lots of opportunity for car camping, but as well as backcountry canoeing and camping. And it is open year-round, so you can actually backcountry camp year-round at Kawartha Highlands. So we put in, I don't recall what lake we put in at. I want to say Cold Lake, but I'm not positive. I have totally blocked that experience from my head. <laughs> so here are my recollections from, from the trip. It was a short trip. It was not intended to be a short trip. We arrived on the day that we were intending to be there. We unloaded the car, got the canoes both in the lake and took off for our first site. My recollection of the day was that it was a full day of five or six hours of paddling. Tim will correct me if I'm wrong. It seemed like it took us the full day where it was dark by the time we got to our site and we were all exhausted and hungry and cranky and thirsty and we got ourselves unloaded and set up and Tim got to work at making some food and we collapsed into our beds with an exhaustion at the end of the night and then the next day bad weather was coming and it had been taken us much longer to get to our site than what we had anticipated and we felt if we were going to be trying to do the same thing to get to our next site 
in bad weather, it, it was probably going to go badly. And so we ended the trip on the second day. Tim, feel free to jump <laughs> yeah. in and No, no, I don't, I don't feel the need to do that. I would like to say that it actually started on, on a good note. We got there, and as we were unloading, there was an eclipse happening. So we had brought... You know, the welding goggles, or no, not welding goggles. We had ordered from Sky and Telescope, I think, the mirrored lenses so that we could watch the eclipse happen. And there was another group with some wee little kids, and they were like, what? So we watched for a bit. We handed off the, the glasses. The, the other kids watched and, and whatnot. So that, that was quite nice. Then we put it into the water, and it all kind of went in the toilet. The best explanation I can give is that I totally oversold our abilities when I or overestimated our abilities when I booked the trip. It had been many years since I'd backcountried and as time does, it didn't seem to be quite as difficult as it turned out to be. It was a big body of water. I was the only one, literally the only one with paddling experience. We had a long ways to go. Big body of water means lots of wind, so a lot of work. I totally shot us in the foot. At some point we'll discuss backcountry camping or Hopefully we'll have a few discussions about it. The biggest takeaway for me was we weren't up to the task. I don't know that even on my own I could have pulled it off. Now I could, but that's three pretty substantial trips down the road and a couple of long weekends. So I wanted everybody to enjoy it as much as I had enjoyed it. I also expected everybody to be able to do the same stuff as I could do, and I made a huge mistake. In hindsight, there was so much information that I didn't have. It wasn't just about oversubscribing us. You look at a, a map, you can spend the time, look at the scale, go, oh, that's a bigger lake than I thought. I looked at it and went, but that's not that big. And I thought, okay, fine, we can do that. And I was woefully mistaken. So there were some beautiful moments. Mostly it was paddling our brains out and being tired and very unhappy about things. One of the other recollections I have is I rented a Kevlar canoe. So we have our own canoe, but we need a second one. And I rented a Kevlar canoe. And as Tim said, the lake was large and windy and the water was somewhat rough. And the Kevlar, I think because of the lightness of it and because of our inexperience, would get caught and it would spin around and we'd end up doing a 180 degree turn and face the wrong direction and then have to turn ourselves around and get going the right direction again. So our paddle ended up being much longer than it needed to be or should have been just because of my experience with wrangling a Kevlar canoe but we thought it would be better for the portages just so that it would be lighter and easier to carry the other was you know at the time our kids were three years younger than they are now so at the time they would have been 15 and 12 at the younger one in terms of being able to carry as much as everyone else's it was not reasonable to expect him to but there was also a height disparity at the time which there isn't anymore <laughs> uh, at the well time. there is but it's going in the other direction <laughs> that's true so at the time I was taller I'm not anymore and he was shorter so trying the two of us to try to carry the canoe together it wasn't working particularly well yeah I would agree with all of that you guys probably paddled 30 or 40 percent more than from a to b should have been and portaging is a very much and I've discovered this is a very much a learned art. How to one up with the canoe, get it up over your head, especially not as much with the Kevlar, but certainly with our big old fiberglass girl. At the time, my want to do the portage in one, I have long since decided that I'm just, I'm over it. If we're carrying that much stuff that we killing ourselves to do it in one, okay, so make three trips, like or do it three times, meaning, meaning it's two trips, but 
you, you have to go there, come back, and then go there again. Just budget the time for it. So I, I'm way better at doing this stuff now, and we actually managed, for the record, neither Pamela nor Brandon has been backcountry with us since, and quite reasonably so. But Brandon did choose to come with us for a sort of a lighter duty version that we do in the fall. Uh, Thomas and I have historically done in the fall, weirdly to the same park, but a very, it's a low key. It's a, I don't know, it might be 200 meters portage, which is essentially from your car to putting your canoe in the water. And then there was another maybe 80, 80 yard portage, something like that, or 80 foot portage and nothing to it, like an hour and a half from the time that we started pulling stuff out of the car until the time we were at our site. So, so yay, we're halfway there. We got one of them back. And there's heavy pressure to go again. (laughs) Well, so lessons learned. One is just the planning. We also learned not to be overly ambitious in terms of several different sites. Going to one site, staying for a couple of nights, then maybe another site, stay for a couple of nights. And Tim since has also found other maps, I think, to give more detail as to difficulty and planning the route. And Well, and Tim's become a better map reader as well, <laughs> to, to be fair. Jeff, for his Unlossify maps, I highly recommend them, but they take a bit of getting used to it. I had to slow down and read all of the stuff that he writes in the sort of directions that he has on his maps because he maps them out for beginner, for intermediate, and for hardcore. And I have to say, he's quite good with his recommendations, with his distances, uh, measurements, how how hard things are to, to do, especially the portages, especially if you're not really good with reading topographical information on a map. He kind of does it for you, but you need to spend the time to read what he has to say. So we've learned uh, from mistakes and we're doing better now. And we'll get into other backcountry trips that Tim has done since then in a later episode. That's it for us for today. Please reach out to us if you have any questions. Our email address is hi at supergoodcamping.com. That's H-I at supergoodcamping.com. We'd love to hear from you and we'll be back again next week. Bye. Bye.